and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today, we have a bonus episode for you. Something fun, something topical. Uh, we're really just trying to cash in on all the buzz and the hype uh, that's been going on. So, uh, We are doing Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined today with not a casual but uh, even more of an expert than me, Juzo. How are you doing, Juzo Greenwood? I'm doing well, Cameron. I'm well, pretty well. We'll we'll talk about it. My liking or disliking of the movie has a lot to do with how I'm feeling, honestly. So we'll get to that. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate being on here and and talking about probably the most anticipated movie. I think next to Oppenheimer, it was the most anticipated movie of the year. At the, you know, if you were to ask me at the beginning, so um, yeah. Yeah, interesting turn of events because you were mixed on both of these. No spoilers for your your opinions on on killers yet, but um, but Oppenheimer, I think you were uh, you were the one who was most sort of disappointed, I guess, um, at coming away from it. The out of the three of us that saw it, me, you, and Isaac. Well, I think I just feel less crazy about it if it wasn't such like both these movies. I understand it's. I mean, these are probably my two favorite directors other than Linklater. I mean, I, I love these guys as much as anyone, but they're at a point where anything they make, people are going to say this is the greatest thing ever. So maybe that's part of what's going on. But I, um, you know, it, it is a bummer when something comes out and everyone says five stars, 10 out of 10, masterpiece. You know, some people are even like, is this, you know, one of his best movies ever? Um, it can be a little disappointing when you're the one kind of going, you know, hemming and hawing and being a little bit more mixed about it. But um, anyway. Mm. Well, I mean, I guess we'll sort of jump straight into it because this is a bonus episode. Um, and, you know, as far as shilling goes, I don't really want to do it. So uh, we'll just we'll just get into our opinions of the film. We did see it together um, on yes. Friday the day that yeah. it came out. Um, so we've had a couple days to sit with it and just be, you know, be absorbed in it. For me, I don't know if it's changed my opinion all that much, and I know you saw it again, um, and I feel like you have a similar feeling, I guess. But um, where do we want to start? Should we? St- I, I guess we shouldn't talk a whole lot about the plot, Although, to be fair, it is a very historical movie, so... Um, I mean, we could just you know. introduce what it's about. I mean, it's about... Or, yeah. I mean, should we say it's about the Osage... Yeah, yeah uh, that's fine, yeah. Native American... I mean, basically a massacre or, or a genocide that took place in... I guess it's the early 20th century um, in Oklahoma and follows... It follow, It's based on a book also called Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran, which is a little bit more about the birth of the FBI and kind of focuses kind of more on the Jesse Plemons, Tom White character as a protagonist. Um, but Scorsese sort of chose to refocus the movie around um, one of the, well, I, I mean, are we sort of spoiling it just from the, I mean. Maybe not yet. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> but it, it, you know, it follows, um, the uh, the character Ernest Burkhart, who um, Leonardo DiCaprio plays, and um, his wife Molly Burkhart, and it's yeah, kind of the 
you know, how he's enmeshed in, you know, these series of murders um, and, you know, in certain ways is, is, you know, influenced and influencing them, uh, you know, with his, with his own uh, relationship and sort of the interplay between that. Yeah. Right. And there's also his uncle sort of hovering over all of it. Robert De Niro. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not really sure how much I can even, give my opinion without Russ really going into it. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not a really a movie of much suspense, I guess I would say it's kind mm. of just Scorsese, you know, showing you how awful things are. Basically it's, it's not, it's not a movie where like, Ooh, are they gonna, Ooh, who's, are they going to catch them? Or are they going to figure out the mystery? It's, it's a movie that's sort of, um, making you confront i mean basically confront evil in the world i guess i would describe it as yeah um, which i'm not saying as a negative by the way like i kind of admire especially in recent years scorsese's desire to strip back the kind of uh the like the aspects of his film that were a little bit of like his showmanship and kind of just laying bare something that's might be sort of displeasing and while other artists sometimes become more sentimental or you know a little bit less uh, interesting as they get older he just seems like he's his exterior is hardening more and more and he's sort of just paring things down to how he really feels about the world um so that you know in that own in that way it's a powerful it's a powerful thing yeah Yeah, well i was gonna say you know sort of where the movie the note that the movie ends on is is very much about this process of stripping away the um the performance and stripping away the sort of entertainment value of a story like this where it's like you know what it could be is is the murder mystery the uh, procedural you know the there's this sense of the fbi coming in and saving the day blah blah Mm -hmm. blah. um but i think what you know really one of his points of the movie and like you said as he's gotten older i think this is one of the things that he's done maybe you know reflecting on his past movies um he he takes away the entertainment out of um what he's showing you he's just showing you the the raw uncomfortable reality and he kind of leaves you with that Mm -hmm. um yeah and so you know there is something to be said where the presentation is not in the way that it's supposed to be a you know thrilling entertaining um you know uh, a movie about um the you know the the way that they track down a killer or you know the way that that you know these investigations work it's very much sort of a it's a much more brutal movie than that um so i mean i think i guess it's it is kind of hard to talk about the movie now that i'm thinking about it without um spoiling it a ton so um i think maybe we should just lay a a massive disclaimer uh that this will be a spoiler filled review partially because it's um our own i would say it's our own discovery of what we think about the movie this conversation probably is because we Mm -hmm. haven't really talked about it that much um Mm -hmm. so i guess i want to um i yeah i i would say um 
I would say this is a hard movie to talk about without spoilers, so watch the movie first uh, before I, I, coming. Yeah, <laughs> coming back. I do, I kind of think you should. I mean, I I don't know. This is a movie. It's like feels sort of insane to be like, would I recommend it? It's like, oh yeah, I can't wait to watch. I mean, I, we haven't mentioned the movie is three and a half hours long. It's. <laughs> I mean, there's some some things in this movie that are so horrifying, like uh, as horrifying as anything I've ever seen in a movie. Even though I wouldn't say it's unrelentingly so, the way I, you know some lesser movies might linger upon the violence or or you know, it's a, and it's just emotionally wrenching as well. So it's in some ways it's like big. You know, some people call it like a trigger warning or something like that. It's like one of these things where it's like you want to give a big asterisk on the whole movie just to say yeah go in knowing what you're getting into but in terms of even though i have a lot of sort of qualms with the film and i'm not crazy about it the the way i have been about you know most of scorsese's movies i just think i don't know there's a certain i mean not everyone believes this about movies but i just think i'm like even if you don't you're not a scholar of movies i just feel like you should see whatever Scorsese, especially as a feature film by Scorsese. You know, it's he makes one every four years or so. Um, he's eighty, almost eighty-one years old. He's probably, you know, I don't think he's done making movies, but it's you know, there's not going to be a ton of Scorsese movies left. Um, and I think it's 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 worth seeing for that reason. Not only, not to mention also just the historical aspect of the movie is you know something worth knowing as well. Um, though you. Yeah, just read about it as well but um yeah so it's like yeah i'd recommend it it's like yeah you should see it but um i can't recommend it as you know entertainment basically yeah nor yeah should it be. i no, i i definitely agree although i think i think this movie makes sense for a certain type of person um who is kind of interested in in you know this history and you know mm-hmm. there there is a um there's an importance to a movie like this, I guess. Um, though, sure. you know, I don't know if, um, I guess that sounds kind of, uh, uh, <laughs> it sounds a little patronizing to say, but, but there is a, there is an air of, you know, this movie as sort of, um, you know, what it's, what it's setting out to be is, you know, a certain, historical record keeping of of a story like this um, right. and i think it does it does that very successfully it's not a documentary obviously but um it it uh, it's it sort of in you know it it's uh without spoilers it's an obituary for a lot of the people who um you know died in you know in this sort of tragic era so mm-hmm. to um, an extent yeah uh and you know so i guess uh with that being said um watch the movie first also like you said a new scorsese movie is something to be um excited for and i would say um there's probably not going to be a ton more there's not going to be like 10 more scorsese movies um so it's worth seeing you know something like this in theaters mm-hmm. um and you know, I, I, I guess, yeah, no more hemming and hawing. We can get into the spoilers of it. Uh, go watch the movie and then come back and listen to our thoughts about it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess, where do you want to start, uh, with, with the discussion? What, what's your, 
I know, you know, when we came out of the movie, you had kind of, um, you mentioned that the last scene really hit you in a certain way, but, but you kind of didn't, you were, you were very like, uh, unsure about where, (laughs) where you thought this movie would, you know, leave you. So I'm just thinking about seeing it again. How is it sort of changed or shifted in your mind, I guess? I think, um. I mean, I, it was a pretty similar experience than to the first time, other than just the fact that I think I, at a certain point I just sort of lost track of a lot of things the first viewing. There's a lot of characters, a lot of names, where just logistically it can be a little difficult to follow. Um, so it's definitely helpful to see again for that reason. Um, but I had a similar experience of finding just, I, I don't know, I just really like the first hour of the movie. And I think... It's not, you know, I don't know, on the level, you know, the Irishman or Goodfellow, you know, like one of the all-time Scorsese's, but it's still, um, it's rich with the sort of the character of the, of the different, of, of everyone on screen and just sort of you live with them. It's not kind of, um, it's not very like narrative based. You're just sort of watching them go about their lives in a way that was, I mean, it's interesting just from a historical standpoint, but I also just felt like. Um, it sort of sits with them and you get to see who these people are and how they interact with the world. And once the crime, once the murders start happening, I just think it becomes a more generic movie. It just becomes a more sort of procedural movie. One with done with a lot of art artistry, definitely with done with a lot of, you know, respect and, you know, um, like, uh, care. But I, I, especially once the FBI comes to town, I just am sort of, uh, a little bit, I just think the emphasis of the movie is sort of off in terms of like what is really interesting and what is what is not and how much he focuses on things that sometimes aren't. Even though um, throughout the movie, he can't, I mean, he's not going to, it's not going to be, he, he, he's incapable of making something that's not beautifully made and full of interesting touches and moments and, you know, lines that just chill your blood or, and then certainly the way he ends the movie is, 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 quite unique um mm-hmm. there's a few i mean he's not the first filmmaker to break the fourth wall i guess with the ending of a movie but i i've rarely seen it done quite like that and i don't know it's some sort of an apologetic i don't know if we wouldn't can touch on the ending as a little bit later but um it's it's a certainly a unique way to end a movie um yeah i guess we'll let's let's talk first about sort of the um the characters who were um i guess the characters who were following through you know most of the movie Ernest right, right. and and Lily um M- or Molly, and I, yeah or, sorry Molly um the, the um you mentioned uh when we had just um saw the movie that you you really liked their sort of introduction into the to the movie you liked how you know you liked watching the culture clash and you know sort of seeing their Mm -hmm. um their introductions um i guess do you want to mention that in terms of like is that what you mean by the first hours is your favorite part of the movie yeah, and I mean, and just the whole idea of it, I can see why he was interested in refocusing the movie. Now we're talking about spoilers. The idea of 
instead of making it, you could make it a really compelling crime procedural. I'm sure he could yeah. have made just a Cracker Jack, great mystery, two-hour, ten-minute, where Jesse Plemons comes to town, figures the mystery out. There's a little bit of that going on. But to focus it on the person who is, he's not the orchestrator, but he is one of the um, accomplices to these murders, and his relationship with this woman who he seems to like genuinely love, but is also mm-hmm. kind of killing at the same time. And um, at the beginning, it's just sort of the, the clash of the cultures. And then you see these sort of more sinister um, actions take place. It, um, it That's an interesting dynamic. And that's something that I think is played very well by DiCaprio and by Lily Gladstone. Um, and... I don't know. Just, 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 there's so much about it that that um, sort of sticks with you. Like her, the way she plays the character, not as oblivious or not as kind of. Um, I mean, she is a victim for sure, but not just defined by that. She's like quite a. Um, she holds her own against him early in the movie. She's not yeah. just like, oh, he's just a nice man. Like she sees through him. That's the other thing that's interesting. Is she sort of, kind of knows. But she trusts him or it's either but it's a combination of she's wants to believe him, but also it's like what other choice does she have? Like it's it's about the limitations of the time. It's like what is you know, she's you know she can't call the police. The police are in the pocket of the Burkhart Hale family. I mean it's not there's not much she can do. I mean she can go to Washington, which she ultimately does, um, to bring yeah, in the I don't FBI. Know that I I don't know that I'm positive the movies um suggesting that she knows that that he's in on it i think even to the end um i i think or i guess until like he testifies i think in some ways she thinks that um there is this sort of darkness going on in the town but i think she's she's not quite sure where it's coming from and i i do think she has a genuine um love for for Ernest, partially because um she you know, from her perspective, he's been taking care of her uh, throughout mm-hmm. this whole time. You know, and she's she's been sick. He's been doing his you know his best to get her insulin, and you know, trying to trying to get her better. According to her, you know, this is this is sort of her perspective on it. Um, and so I do think I do think there's a deep sense of betrayal throughout the movie, where it's it's sort of this denial and you know eventual acceptance of you know he uh, you know molly is someone who doesn't believe that that ernest could do that to her you know mm-hmm. doesn't believe that he could be responsible for you know killing his family members or whatever mm-hmm. else you know yeah i and should so, have meant that to say maybe it's more like she has a suspicion early on like right, early on yeah. she's, she calls him a coyote and she's like yeah of course yeah. he wants my money um but yeah i think it's yeah it's, that's probably true she doesn't think oh he's murdering my siblings you know yeah yeah well and i i I think that's kind of important to to her character too because i think there's um from my you know experience watching the movie i was very sad um for her only because you know i um she displays this sense of betrayal on like just a fundamental level, you know, throughout the movie, she, she, and then, you know, once it gets to the end, 
she's really sort of you don't see the consequences of it but but there's a sense that she's broken by mm-hmm. um you know by the p- betrayal um, oh yeah it's and kind I, of the note I, he leaves, leaves the movie on yeah yes exa- yeah exactly um but i i really love that i think there's something um very profound in her performance of of you know not not being not exactly coming to grips with what's going on around you because you, you know, you trust a person. Um, and then the person just, there's a dramatic irony there too, where you, uh, the audience know that Ernest is completely (laughs) like messed up. You know, he's, Mm -hmm. he's completely, um, a horrible person. And so, you know, there is something I think very, um, very Shakespearean about it to me, I guess. Um, yeah, no, it's loaded with a kind of um, uh, almost like metaphor for the history of, I mean, in a way, the history of the country itself and the idea of people. It's funny, I sent Cameron this um, letterbox review that's absolutely deranged, sort of invoking <laughs> this and, and kind of taking out of context a Martin Luther King quote about how integration um you're is you're bringing people into a burning house and how you shouldn't shouldn't trust you know white people that you marry which of course is silly especially now but but the idea uh, of people loving this the thing they're destroying at the same time i think definitely holds true and you see throughout history the idea of people who the people who destroy cultures or or take from other people they're not always people who are just like oh i hate these people so much a lot of times they yeah love the culture and they love the things that they are and also it's sort of there's an interesting um turmoil going on within them you know like it's almost like part of the reason they have to destroy it is because it's like it's awakening something in them or i mean there's there's a lot of very sick um feelings that are associated with that idea of of anything from you know, people who, any form of racism throughout history of just like, you know, loving culture, taking culture, and then kind of obliterating it and perverting it. And um, this, I, and do, and showing it through um, a a romance in this movie basically is, is, is quite a powerful way of, exploring those ideas and also doing it and doing it in a way that's not quite so literal and is in inelegant as like I'm saying right now, you know, it, it makes it sort of something that sticks with you and you think about later. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, on, I guess on top of that, um, sort of going into Ernest Burkhardt's character, um, I think that's maybe where you had some, some issues with the movie or maybe your dad had issues with the movie. I don't know. But well, my I, dad just I, hated it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I love the fact that he is such a like just a despicable person throughout the whole movie. Right. I, he gets and he gets no redemption. Um, it is really uncomfortable to watch, though. Um, there's something about it where you're spending so much time with this person. Um, he is the protagonist of the movie, you know. Yeah. But he, um, it's it's kind of the opposite of of every like heroic protagonist that that you get. He's oh sure. He he's lacking in agency, um, you know, in mm-hmm. a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, he's like profoundly 
um, inept uh, in what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, he has like zero skills or redeeming qualities or values. Um, yeah, yeah. And he is making you know of the little agency that he has he makes the worst possible decisions with it um you know so it's like everything everything about a protagonist that you'd want uh you know you want them to to be the strong you know person who takes charge you want them to make good decisions you want them to have sort of fleshed out values even if they're flawed they have a certain sort of reasoning to what they're doing um you know, you, you want them to be competent. Uh, you, you know, he, <laughs> Ernest Burkhart is like just the literal opposite of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you, by it, it is really a hard, um, I can see why it, it would be a hard sell following a character like that. Well, um, yeah, the passivity of his character is just, is, is a little bit, I don't know. I'm I'm really of two minds about it because I do respect that his devotion to examine this, and it's kind of not dissimilar to his focusing the Irishman around someone who is basically not an architect of evil, but just a pawn who goes along with it. Um, mm-hmm. In the Irishman's case, he's almost even more dispassionate. You know, it's not like like in in, in the killers, it's like okay, he's motivated by money. You see a little bit of it, but the Irishman, it's just like he's every decision he makes is like, yeah, I guess I'll just do this. Yeah. All right. You know? And, um, I think in the Irishman, he's much more sympathetic too. Um, you know, he's, he's sort of, yeah. Well, I don't know though, why that is. Maybe he's just less pathetic or there's something about him that has more dignity than Leo's character. Yeah. I, I think, I think it really is that he has a certain level of principle to, to what he's doing. It's like a, maybe just a basic loyalty. Um, right. To, to, um, Oh, that's true. Also, yeah, he doesn't really have that in this. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Burkhart is is like literally just, um, just like despicably unprincipled. You know, he has no mm-hmm. scruples whatsoever. Um, and it is interesting. Again, like I could imagine a version where where Scorsese tries to sort of fluff up his background or fluff up the way that he. Um, is how he is or maybe even uh, you know bring in experiences from the war and sort of how mm-hmm. uh, you know it's changed him or how it's shaped him and blah 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 um, but again he doesn't do that and I think that's a very purposeful decision he he makes him um, he makes him just seriously deeply evil um, yeah yeah <laughs> but also in a very banal kind of way not not a yeah, I think yeah. It's, as yes. you're saying this, yes, you're actually yeah, totally. You're you're making this. I mean, yeah, banality of evil is definitely something that will cross the mind many times watching this film. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah your, your case for you, your, what you're saying is is definitely winning me over to him being the right protagonist for the movie. I mean, I think he is in some ways because I, I, you know, the first time I saw it, I was a little bit like, wouldn't it be more interesting to show this from the perspective of either? Well, I mean it'd be more fun to show it from the FBI perspective just as a mystery, but that's kind of something you've seen before, but more interesting also from the uh, victim's perspective, you know, in terms of, um, you know, just watching your people being uh, taken out one by one and trying to do something about it, but being sort of powerless. Um, 
And then also De Niro's character, who's sort of more the architect of all this. Um, and he's sort of the more charismatic of the two because he's really kind of manipulating both the perpetrators and the victims at the same time. And, you know, has this kind of wily, insinuating quality. I just think it's like great, great work by De Niro in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, I, you know, with that, I would say you do get that perspective from uh, from Molly's character. And, and there's mm-hmm. there's a an amount where um, you're sort of focused in on the conjunction between the you know selfish uh, you know evil of someone who who you know doesn't truly care um and only is in it for the money and mm-hmm. for Molly who has even some conflicting you know i would say normal family issues but sort of this conflicting sense that like something is wrong in her you know not just in her town, but in her culture and in sort of this, the air is, you know, wrong. There's something, something going on. Uh, that's, that's a a problem. There's a, um, the, the movie opens with, um, you know, a very interesting scene where it's, it's sort of this, uh, tribal, um, Oh, the pipe, pipe burying ceremony. Yeah. It's a, it's a pipe burying ceremony. And, basically what they do and and of course this cut is is so brilliant but you know they're sort of weeping the death of their culture and their ways Mm -hmm. um in Mm -hmm. this very sad you know moment and then in the very next cut um they are celebrating the oil and the riches that they've um they've you know acquired and it's almost like they are they are selling their ways to get the oil you know it's a trade it's it's the devil's trade you know yeah Um, it's a little bit what it feels like you know it's a really haunting kind of thing because it's such a quiet opening and then he goes into this i think it's one of the only times he uses slow motion in the movie where they're dancing yeah there's the plumes of oil and and uh um it's a robbie robertson sort of music that's kind of upbeat the opening of the movie is sort of interesting because it's really kind of like this driving music it's kind of more the classical scorsese mode and, um, you know, a bunch of people arriving to town on the train. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. An interesting, uh, like thematically it, it is an interesting idea of, of mourning culture and sort of the passage of time and things reshaping in a way. And it, they do explicitly say like in the teachings of the white man, basically. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, their, their, their culture being kind of, um, it's a combination of assimilation and annihilation, I guess. Um, and, um, Yeah. Yeah, Very well, powerful. and I, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, from a character like like Molly's perspective, I think her focus in in a lot of the movie is sort of on her family, um, and on sort of the how it how it's destroying her her own the people around her basically, um, you know, it starts with her, you know, the first thing we find out about her is she's. Um, t- you know, caring for her her mother, and that's like you know her primary thing that she's doing. And then you know later on, we get her as sort of the um the more headstrong but loving uh you know s- sister to you know the rest of of her sisters, someone mm-hmm. who's just very compassionate about um her her sisters, and you know even though is. Um, in a really 
haunting scene that that I it's one of the scenes that I've thought about um the most from the movie. It's before um uh Molly's sister she ends up getting killed. Um what's her name? Rita? Oh, which which the sister one? who gets shot in the head uh, in the di- in the dish. I think that was it's Anna. Is that Anna? I'm pretty yeah, sure. Right. Um Yes, it's Anna. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Um yeah. so uh, she she comes back and she's you know drunk. It's the afternoon, um, and there's this you know there's this tension between uh, Molly and her mother, um, where you know Molly's mother is asking for Anna, um, being like you know I don't want to see you. You married you know a white man. You know I don't I don't want to I don't want to see you here right now. You're ruining us, basically. Yeah, yeah. The tension with the mother uh, stood out to me this time around. It's a good, good yeah. performance too. By I think her name's Tantu Cardinal. She's she's really good. Yeah. Um. But I. I but then the scene after that. Um. You know, Anna's come in. She's made a ruckus. She's about to shoot. Um. <laughs> Ernest's brother, and then she goes upstairs. That's a great scene. Yeah. 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 Um. Well, she goes up. There might be an early, there might be a second. I think there's two scenes you're t- you're kind of conflating, which is like she oh, arrives right. at breakfast and there's like tons of people in the house. Yeah. Then yeah. he does that one shot, and then I think later you see her coming in and going up. St- or no, you see her leaving basically, leaving the mother, and and she's and and Lily Gladstone is like waving goodbye, and it almost like feels like she knows it's the last time she's seeing her. Mm. Um, but both, yeah, very very powerful moments. Yeah. Well, I just mean there's a moment where um it like twisted my gut uh where they're laying on the bed Anna and and the mother and uh and she says like you're my you're my favorite daughter um right before right uh Molly comes in, you know. And there's something very like twisted about that relationship that you can tell um you know Molly obviously respects and loves her mother, but, but there's, you know, it, it's almost like it's not shared in, in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in, in the mother's perspective, you know, she's Molly is part of the problem of, you know, erasing her culture and her past and blah, 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 you know? So there's something, there's something kind of interesting going on with, with the two of them, I think. Um, yeah. It almost makes me wish the movie, I don't know. It's one. Of, it's one of these. Is like, is this like Oppenheimer or, or Babylon, where actually the movie should be four and a half hour? Like, because I almost feel like he has so many plates in the air with all these characters and so much about the crimes itself. I just, I would have wanted even more with the the relationship with the sisters and the mother. I, I mean, I really like that scene where they're all sitting and they're all like speaking their language and they're talking about Leo, you know, and and her husband, yeah, and they're yeah. kind of making fun of each other. And it's a really nice sort of interplay. Like it re- they really feel like they're siblings, you know. And and um, it reminded just... me of um, there's a scene kind of like that in uh, in the last duel. Um, I don't know if you remember where they're, oh they're, it's yeah, from her maybe. perspective. Um, it's like know, her friends or her sister. Yeah, it's her friends. I think um, she's like at the market and whatnot. And she's just kind of you know gossiping. But it's it's a it's kind of an unusual thing to have in movies nowadays. You don't get that like. Um, it's it's just like a you know a moment of pure uh, gossip with with friends just talking about yeah you know, your impressions of someone and both know. movies have a similar quality where you kind of um, there's a sense of doom hanging over each scene because yes. you know 
they're walking into something really awful. Um, yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely, I definitely like, I think it's why I just dig the first hour of the movie more because there are these sort of quiet character moments that I just think are so well, you know, the thing about his movies is they often kind of bounce between montage and kind of, you know, there's not as much voiceover in this movie, but a lot of times he has voiceover and they're explaining a series of things that happen. And then the movie kind of like puts on the brakes and there'll be like a really great character scene. And it felt like it was those, the ones that were interesting to me were more in the early part of the movie where I really mm. liked that scene where he has dinner with at her house for the first yeah. time. And they're sort of talking and he's kind of, you know, inching his way into, you know, like, would would you marry me basically? And she's kind of blowing him off a little bit, but with a kind of a sense of humor that kind of says a lot about her, her about her and then i love that moment when the rain starts that might be like one of my favorite parts of the movie is just where the rain starts and she's like don't talk like let's just we just have to sit here and like take in this moment basically um and it's sort of um i i like these little moments of of silence maybe it's just me as i get older and i've i've gone from being <laughs> like i want my movies to be you know hypercharged you know boogie nights good fellas to now i just want to watch you know, movies where nothing happens, but, um, <laughs> I don't know. And uh, look, also, this is also, you know, biased by the fact that I'd rather watch, you know, it's just, it might be a little unfair just because obviously the parts of the movie that follow that are unpleasant by the nature of the story. So I shouldn't overstate it too much as like, oh, this is, you know, oh, he was really on, on fire over here, but then he messed up. I mean, it's like <laughs> the movie has to go in this direction. It's there's, there's no choice in the matter. Yeah. Um, so I guess, um, you know, in the first sort of bits of the movie, you're sort of piecing together. I was, I was feeling, you know, skeptical, but, uh, somewhat trusting, I guess, uh, you know, in, in the very beginning I was like, well, you know, the, I don't know, you know, I don't know the story. So, you know, it could be uh, Ernest is, is you know, on their side or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm, oh, that's yeah, interesting. Did sure. you, you didn't know Ernest was the villain when you no, walked I, in? I didn't, no. Oh, that's interesting. See, I knew, I guess I must have read too much about this because I went in, I knew exactly, like, he he killed a bunch of people. He worked for his uncle. So that's, that's interesting that you, how, like, what point did you start going, oh, um, you know. I mean, it's it's pretty early on. Well, I guess that's what I was gonna get to was that I think kind of early on they have a um, there they have a talk uh, Ernest and and Bill Hale, um, mm. Robert De Niro's character. Um, they they have a talk where you know he's kind of suggesting certain things that that are questionable, but not explicit you know Mm -hmm. there's there's a certain amount of of you know they've they're trying to take over a certain you know industry and and you know they're trying to inch their way in um and you know and he's he says something like um like you know if you marry you know someone like this you know she's she's full-blooded osage so you know you'll get that full head right um Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's something like that where it's it's suspicious, but it's not an outright, you know, evil thing to do necessarily. People are kind of, um, you know, 
being selfish, obviously, but right. Uh, and I like he he often it will just imply things in the way people. He does this in the Irishman yeah. too, where it's like they never actually, they very rarely actually say what they're talking about. It's always something like we did all we could for the man, or you know, like that sort yeah, of thing. Where yeah, it's a, you get the idea, but like, right. is this really yes. what they're gonna do? Yeah. Um. You know, and then and then he, um, in what I think is one of the weirder. <laughs> scenes of the movie. I don't know if I uh, like it or dislike. It. I'm not sure. He the he goes and he no he ro- oh, no, okay. no 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 he robs a uh, um uh who does he rob? It's like he, some oh just with the people with the jewels. Yeah yeah yeah. Um you know and it's 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 in a way like yeah um. It feels like it comes out of nowhere, I guess. Um, yeah, there's something about it where it's like, it's you haven't spent that much time, but all you know about Ernest is, you know, he came from the war, and I guess he likes money. He's got a you know family down there. You don't really mm-hmm. know anything about it, and it's like right in the beginning of when he's um, starting to kind of see Molly Burkhart, um, and then he goes on this, <laughs> you know, this. Uh, this expedition to steal someone's jewels and you're like wow that seems you know not not great you know so that's that's like kind of first time you see him commit a crime yeah yes yeah um yeah that's that's when the the dominoes start to quote sort of uh you know start to fall i guess and then eventually you get a sense that um that bill is is much more um he's much more involved in some of the happenings uh, than, than you were suspecting otherwise. Um, and then you, you sort of start to ask yourself like, Oh wait, is, you know, are they implying that, that Ernest is in on it too? Does he know about, there's like one murder early on. Um, I forget who it is. Um, well, one of the sisters dies and it's sort of passed off as a natural death, but you don't really know. Yes. Yeah. Um, but they have they have sort of a montage of a bunch of people who are like you know, um, it's, yeah. This it's person like, died. You know, no investigation. Died, no investigation. Died. No investigation. Uh, yeah. This person was shot. Ruled a suicide. Blah blah blah. Right. Um, you know, and so so it sets up that there's something happening, you know, going on underground. Um, right. But after a certain while, you do start to think, um, you know. Well, it's kind of explicit that you know Bill is is involved um, in in a lot of this, and then you know, sort of in that moment where you're thinking like, oh yeah, Bill is probably behind some of this. Then I think in like the next scene, he <laughs> um, he asks um, he asks Ernest, Ernest to go. Um, like find someone to take care of Rita and, um, and Bill Smith. Um, Oh, okay. Is that right? Yeah. It's like, it's pretty close afterwards. Well, this is for me when I was thinking about it. Yeah. This is why, again, it's like, and I hate to just get going back to the Irishman, but I just think, you know, there's, these are similar movies in a lot of ways. Um, I, I find that that movie does a lot better of a job of showing the gradations of his, behavior into being just a hitman basically mm-hmm. because you you see him go from rough up this guy a little bit scare him beat up the grocer 
you know, okay, kill this guy because he's, you know, he did this thing to then just like, okay, kill 50 guys basically. Um, this is a little bit, it, it seems like a, it comes out of nowhere a little bit with Leo. Um, yeah. Or, or he kind of obfuscates how much he's actually involved for parts of it. Um, yeah. So it's well, a little and tough. I was, I, and I, I guess I was wondering about that. Like, is that, um, I kind of, I kind of appreciate that about the movie in some ways. Um, because like for for some of it you're um you're on the Molly Burkhart perspective where you're saying like like okay but like does he know how bad things are and then after a certain point you know you know that he knows how bad things are um but i do kind of agree with you though it it would make him maybe a more sympathetic character which is probably why um <laughs> you know he doesn't gradually yeah maybe introduce you to that huh um, yeah and in some ways you know the assumption is from scorsese's perspective you know throughout this movie is that he's he's bad he's kind of rotten to the core um, right and he will do anything for uh for money and i don't know <sighs> It is hard to say that that's super compelling plot-wise, but it is true. I mean, he did oh, do yeah. these things that were awful for money, you know? No, no nothing so, the film is doing or saying, either historically or thematically, is untrue. Everything it's saying yeah. about American culture and the literal specifics of what happened, I think, is is pretty much fact. Um, so it's it almost feels like a little bit of a... I don't know, shallow to, to talk about things like dramatic structure or character in terms of these things. But you have to, you can't be completely, I don't know, maybe this is just the next leap of my film criticism is like, do I need to just like stop thinking about these things? Or is it sloppy filmmaking? And is it kind of, is he sort of, does he lose the sort of, um, the handle on things a little bit in this movie in terms, like in terms of perspective, the movie is a little bit, it feels a little confused sometimes about who the movie really is following or like why we're going from this person. Like, is it, is the movie about this person or is it, is it about Ernest or is it about Molly or sometimes is it even about uh, Hale? Um, and sometimes it follows Plemons. Like it's a little bit, um, I mean, I guess that's sort of the structure. I mean, to be fair, I guess some TV shows take that structure, but actually I don't really like TV shows when they, I don't know. I, I tend to like things when it kind of picks a picks a lane, I guess. Um, hmm. But you know, I, this could be something I watch it again, and I could uh, would might bother me less. I mean, it, honestly, it bothered me less the second time around uh, than the first. Just sort of um, appreciating these different little scenes as they as they came along. Um, yeah, I guess for me, um, like like I said, I I, I can understand why it would be maybe a little annoying to follow a character who's so just so blatantly awful. But I, I really like that perspective of that the movie has where, um, you know, he, he's earnest as someone who, um, is kind of, I guess it's like this, there's a cult of personality around, uh, you know, King Bill Hale, you know, mm-hmm. even from the very beginning when, you know, he asks him to call him King, you know, there's a set, there's like a flitter of, of 
um, self-consciousness that happens in in Leo's performance, where he's like, he's like, he's like, king. Call you yeah, king. That's, that's, that's you know? true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does <laughs> get know? a little. But oh, then he just king. Okay. But then he just like you know puts it out of his mind, and so. But I think after that, there is this sort of spell that's taken over uh, Leo, and it happens. There's a really interesting moment where, which I I love this whole sequence um <laughs> in the courtroom uh this is the first time he's gonna get up he's gonna testify he's sort of broken away from from the chains of uh of of bill hale you know this is supposed to be his redemption moment um, right and right. and uh brendan frazier stands <laughs> up you know and he starts bellowing <laughs> yeah and he's he's yelling, "This is my client. I need to speak to my client. I haven't and seen a- him in five days. No one knows where he was." It's so funny. I mean, I it's, I surprised people didn't like that. So people are saying he was bad at the movie. I thought that was like one of the who? great moments. Brendan Fraser. People were saying he sucked at the movie. No, I was like, no, who what? was saying that Brendan? Fraser oh, I had was a lot of people it. I saw. I don't know. I think they're crazy. I thought he was. He was great. awesome. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what they're talking about. And of course, um, it's it's like it's supposed to be over the top. The whole point is he's making a performance, both a performance yeah. of taking over the courtroom and of intimidating um, Ernest. And yeah, when you see yeah. him in the second scene, he's very <laughs> dialed back and very sinister in that yeah. uh you know th- that very creepy dark room scene with well, all the powerful players of yeah that's what i was going to say was you know he had you know you're kind of i'm imagining him as as being you know under the spell of of you know king hale mm-hmm. um and then you know he he gets um taken out by the interrogation and he he's kind of waking up um, to all the awful stuff that's happened. Um, and then, you know, he, that scene where Brendan Fraser announces himself and blah, blah, blah. He's my client. Um, and then they take him back into the, into the dark shady, uh, barber room and they kind of pressure him and he's, he's back in the, in the spell again. You know, he's kind of kicked back into, um, into mm-hmm. you know being under under the the influence and um there's something very unique about that that performance and that structure of a character because um he doesn't really have any decision making in that you know he's going from one powerful and influential person to another powerful influential person you know mm-hmm. he's kind of fluttering back and forth between the FBI uh, or you know the Bureau of Investigation being mm-hmm. you know intimidating to him and threatening him basically, and then the same thing happening with with the lawyer and with uh, you, you know all those powerful people. Um, yeah, and and I I just I really like that sort of you, you're like you're dying for this person who you've been following who you hate so much. You just hate this person. You hate Ernest so much. Um, and you're dying for him to do something right and to stand up and to, you know, to go against um, the awful things that, you know, he and, and his uncle have done. Um, and right at the moment where you think that's going to happen, Scorsese just takes it away from you. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. That, that redemption moment, he just... Whoosh, he just sucks it out and he and he becomes even worse after 
after all of the terrible things that he's done, um, the spinelessness is is just another you know insult <laughs> to injury. Yeah, and he reneges on it. And he eventually he he actually does do what he was originally going to do, but it's too but late. It, it's it just doesn't feel very. I mean, I don't know. I I don't really know if at any point he really has much contrition for what he's done. I know he has some no. lines about like, oh, I'm full of regret or whatever, but it never really seems like he's that. Well, only when he gets everything. caught. I mean, that's that's the thing is only when he gets caught. He has no, he has no yeah, remorse. And when his for, kid dies, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, he has no remorse for um, any of the terrible things that he's done. And I do like that there's a, um, there's a sense of, um, second-handedness to to the violence that's going on um except when he beats up the uh does he do they kill the the private investigator the pri- i think they just yeah. beat him up maybe they, oh, i don't know i mean you don't see him die him. you don't see uh, him guess, die, yeah but, maybe but yeah. i i guess he could have died i don't know um you know but but basically you know that's that's as far as he, he's sort of a a typical thug in that way. Um, you know, he's not the one who's sort of orchestrating these, these murders or even, you know, super involved. He's kind of the one to, to pass along the orders. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's sort of, I'm just doing what I'm told. And I think it, you know, you mentioned the banality of evil. There is something to that where, um, you know, he's, he's look he's coming at it, you know, secondhand. He's like, well, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, planting the bombs under, you know, Rita and Bill's house. I wasn't uh, shooting Anna in the head. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, what did I do? I just, I just kind of passed along the, the information. I passed along the orders, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that, that a lot of, um, you know, the worst perpetrators of, of, you know, war crimes and, and genocide, they're, they're the ones who are, you know, passing, passing the orders and who are just doing what they're told, you know? So there right. is this sense of, of, you know, he doesn't have a lot of agency, but, but in some ways that is how, um, evil is, you know, perpetrated. It oh, is sure. just this, yeah. this, you know, three steps removed. I'm just doing what I'm told and nobody is, you know, putting a stop to it or, or stepping up to, to, to have a spine or to be, you know, someone who has character. Yeah. And then kind of diffusing the blame between people and having all these different, this sort of network of different people who are doing these things. And then sometimes closing the loop and then getting rid of those people as well, which you sort of see at the end where De Niro starts like, he's like, Oh, why don't you go rob this place? And then he tells the guy whose place he's about to rob. So the guy just gets (laughs) shot and killed, you know? I love um, that sequence. I think I think that's a great, you know, the the consequences and sort of when the when the FBI starts to to wrap everybody together. I one of the, one of the um, saddest scenes in the movie for me, I guess, um, is when the guy who <laughs> he's yeah, it's it's oh man, it's really sad. He kills he kills the the um, the Henry. melancholy guy. Yes, he kills the melancholic guy, Henry yeah. Roan. Um and it's it's kind of the sequence where he explains like I didn't really want to do it, like I actually kind of liked the guy and oh my like we yeah. we'd gotten yeah. to know each other 
And then I just, you know, one day I just mustered up the courage and I did it, you know, and he does it wrong and he, he kind of bungles it. Um, yeah. In the back of the head, he's supposed to <laughs> make it look like a suicide. Um, yeah. And then he, and then he goes up to Burkhardt and he's like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like this was, this was horrible. Um, and you know, and so that when, when that comes back to haunt him, he's got a bunch of kids He's kind of sitting peacefully with his with his that, wife and his kids. Yes, yes. Um, and then the FBI comes and picks him up, and uh, it's so it's such a sad shot. And then they sit him down, and you know they say like, "Oh, blah blah blah." Like, did you kill Henry Roan? And he's like, "No, I don't know anything about it." And um, Burkhart comes in, and he said he's you know he said everything and he and he's yeah. there's this look on his face and it's so sad there's this yeah. look on his say, face and he says i'm the one to to go down for this like i'm the one who has to get stuck with this um and you know it's just like an it's you feel so awful for him even though he you know he killed well, he's a horrible Henry. Guy. yeah person as well but yeah there's a sense of him i don't know i think that shot of him I don't know. Maybe it's just the shot of him with his like six kids and that sort of like yeah. his derelict house it gives more sympathy to him than any of these other guys. Also, that guy is just a terrific actor. Like I don't even know if he's a professional. I'm looked at his IMDb. All he is is he's in True Grit, one other movie, and this movie. So I think he might just be a guy or some. And he's on like Anthony Bourdain's show, but it's it's yeah, it's really great. And if you forgot the part at the end of that scene when he he's it's been, you know, they, they bring Leo into the room and he's guilty. And then he says, get your pencils. And yeah, then the yeah, music yeah. starts and it's sort of the yeah, montage yeah. of it from being arrested. Um, that's good. That's some good filmmaking right there. That was, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but I, I guess my point in, in bringing that up is, you know, part of the movie is, is sort of, um, like you said, this dis- the diffusion of responsibility where where everybody you know is one step removed from from the terrible things that are happening, um, and nobody really you know nobody even has to live with the guilt except for um, you know in this case it's it's the guy who's holding the gun um, who just wanted to get out of it anyways you know he's not in it for any money he's not in right. it to to do anything I think the i think he was just paid you know he wasn't he wasn't going to benefit from this the the person benefiting oh, yeah. was yeah, yeah, true um was you know king hell so i think i don't know i think that's it's just an interesting perspective that the movie has where it could be about these sort of you know deeply malicious and you know blah, blah you know these people who are so you know horrible and evil but in some ways it it makes it the more tempered way where they are evil in that they're they're extremely oh, selfish they're doing. They, yeah they have they have no scruples and they're all they're you know wanting is to you know enrich themselves but right. on, on they can they can sit it you know with themselves that you know they weren't really the ones doing it and there's this sort of sense of of you know power sharing um and i i just i don't know i i think it's a really unique way to 
portray a villain a villain like like King Hale who you know is is kind of scheming and conniving but in his mind is justified because he's helping the community and he's the one who's you know who's he's taking over but it's not because he hates these people it's because he wants them to live good good lives and he can do that you know he can provide them the dance school and he can provide them the you know the roads and all the houses and the suburbs like that's the that's the service that he brings and if it takes a couple you know a couple couple eggs you know that's that's just how it has to be. Yeah, um, and he's returning yeah. them to the Lord. He, he often will say that in the movie. Yeah. He's like, ah, they're with the Lord now. You know, and it just feels like everything in his. I don't know. I almost feel like you watch the warped uh, mind of De Niro in this movie. It's like he almost really doesn't believe he's doing anything wrong. I mean, it's it's that sick. He's that sick of a person. Yeah, um, yeah. but it's um, man, it's yeah. it's it's quite chilling. I mean. He's he's played some evil characters, you know, even in the many Scorsese movies he's been in. But this is could be the most. I mean, one of the most certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, in uh, uh, in Cape Fear, he plays a uniquely evil person. Um, yeah. Just in in that he, uh, he's almost like cartoonishly evil in that movie. Yeah, um, very theatrical. <laughs> I, I love that movie. Me too. Yeah, but he is very he's very sick in the head in that in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I was saying that I hate uh, Ernest Burkhart more than I hated Calvin Candy in, in Django Unchained. You know, oh, my like, God. He's, he's someone who is so despicable. Um, like, at least at least Calvin Candy is, like, fun to watch and charismatic. Like, he's got something. He's He's got a, he's got a charisma going on for him. Well, yeah, um, there's something about, and you'll find it with movies, including, like, when you look at who gets nominated for uh, villain roles in movies people t- it's there's something about a theatrical villain like calvin candy or um you know heath ledger or or uh, some of the villains kevin spacey played that's easier to stomach than maybe because it's more something from the movies than from real life and i think the people who yeah. do evil in the world are probably much more like pathetic people like ernest burkhart than you know, Heath Ledger's Joker, you know, and I think that's what makes him more uh, unpleasant to watch. I'm curious, we haven't really talked about Leo himself in the movie. Do, do you, what do you think of Leo's performance? I, I really liked it, although it's hard because um, he's playing a character that I don't think he's ever played before. Um, someone who's just like so pathetic. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I look guess at, not. I, I'm contrasting this movie with um, with Catch Me If You Can in a lot of ways, um, <laughs> where you know could be more charming, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. He's he's so like he's so likable. He's doing bad things, obviously. He's stealing and blah blah blah. That but he's not a he's not an inherently bad guy. You know, you feel like you kind of like him in some oh, ways. Oh yeah. You know? I'm putting aside the fact, I mean, what he's doing in that movie is much less bad, much, much less yeah, bad. Yeah. But also it's like, he's, he's, uh, he, they give him so much sympathy and so much like heart in that movie and his family. And, and you're just like, Oh, this, you know, he's just a sweet kid, you know? Um, and, and, but, and he's just so likable and what he's doing, you almost can't help, but just, 
because it's so delightful the way he's committing his crimes <laughs> and this there is a certain and i think i like the bluntness of this in this movie how it almost is sort of commenting on these people could just get away with anything at to a certain extent just because they're you know f- up until the fbi came in no one really cared about and in general probably even post fbi no one really cares about native americans and what's happening to them and they could just even crimes that are as managed as poorly as the ones these guys yeah. are pull it up, pulling off, you know, when he has the strings to pull of the entire, I mean, that's why that, that shot of him coming into that dark room at the end is so chilling. Cause you're like, Oh, everyone is in, you have a suspicion and you're kind of, especially when you see the guy managing the money, it's the old guy from no country for old men. You see him <laughs> as the Ku Klux Klan leader. you you go, okay, there's some bad vibes coming from this guy, but then like, he's there, the undertaker, the two doctors who are giving the insulin, everyone is in on it. And, and, yeah, and the sheriff that, as well, you know, so it's like, he controls a, everything. That was an awful revelation for me in the movie. Again, you know, just sort of cementing the, the evilness, you know, when, when it starts, um, she's, she, you know, she's diabetic. So she's getting the insulin and, um, there's a scene where they go into the doctor's office and it's, it's shot very normally. You know, you don't, I don't, I didn't suspect anything that was wrong with, with the doctors, um, Mm -hmm. at that point. And, and, you know, you know, from our, you know, modern understanding, you know, that insulin can be very helpful for someone who has uh, diabetes oh, um, sure. depending on sort of their, their condition and whatnot. But, um, you know, and, and sort of they make this, this almost show about it of like, you know, you're one of like five in the, in the country who's getting this treatment. And, you know, this is, this is from, um, you know, from King Hale and blah, blah, blah. And, and so like, there's a you know there's that darker influence but in some ways you're like okay well this is this is good for for molly um you know and then as things start to go get worse and worse um there's a moment where uh he pulls he pulls Ernest aside um king hale and uh he's with the two doctors and he says give molly these you know put this in her insulin um mm-hmm. you know we need to slow her down and that's that's like when you're like oh wait i don't even know if they are giving her insulin at this point i don't yeah. know what oh, they're yeah. doing like they yeah. are just destroying her her life and her ability to um to oppose them basically right um, right and it's it's a really it's a really sick and twisted part of the movie um, and it's almost like they know only how far they can push it because it's like they they kind of probably know Ernest won't go along with kill Molly, so it's like, all right, just give her, you know, just give her a little bit of this, you know, that we can manipulate him into taking part in this this far. Um, but and like, it's, yeah, horrifying. how how spineless do you have to be to like let someone poison? Just be, just go along with that, you know, like that's. That's the worst, maybe the worst thing that he does in the movie, I think. Yeah, no, that's what know. puts him, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what puts him, I think, beyond even the Frank Sheeran and the Irishman is like, even he, I don't think he would have, well, I mean, well, his friend, but I mean, I don't know if he would have poisoned his own family, you know, it's like, that's just such a, but to uh, see, but to see the, so far. the like pain and the agony that she's in, 
you know, every day and to take care of her and to still do that is just, I mean, that's just something like something else. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to, to comprehend, to be honest. Yeah. There's something, and there's also, it's, it, I, it occurred to me just as we're talking about this, that it's interesting that his, right before he's arrested, it's that really hellish scene where Hale has lit his property on fire and these, you can see the fire out the window mm-hmm. and Leo's basically losing and he starts taking it. Like he starts, which I, yeah. that is probably one of the things I don't know if that's true in the movie. Like that feels like maybe something Scorsese would just sort of put in there as kind of, um, I don't know, something, something thematically that's sort of interesting, but then he, like he takes it and he's lying down with her and it's and it just feels like they're in hell. And you see those like really kind of painterly images of the people, yeah. you know, and and the I don't know, it's you see the, the the oscillation of the image from the heat, you know. And it just feels like they're just completely in hell. And almost like Leo is on the brink of like if they hadn't arrested him, he was just going to kill himself at a certain point because it's just the, the insanity of what's happening is almost getting to him. Um mm. But yeah, pretty pretty powerful. You know, so the more I talk about this, the more I'm like, well, there's some powerful moments in this movie. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's other stuff I've neglected to talk about. I really like that whole thing. We talked about early on, right? Like that whole uh, breakfast scene at that house where there's like tons of people. We didn't go too too into detail of it, but yeah. Yeah, I just thinking about individual scenes. I just thought that was great. He does this sort of one take where he follows, you know, goes through each room of the house. By the way, just like cinematography, production design, this is, you know, this is at the highest level. He got yeah. the he got yeah. the guy, the the guy who did There Will Be Blood, Mulholland Drive, um, Tree of Life. Jack Fisk is like this production designer who just built all this stuff. He just researches all of it, and it looks amazing. But anyway, that whole part where where there's all this going on. There's these two like old people at the table who are talking about the uh, mixed race kids, and they're talking about ah, they're just sad. Like those yeah. people just feel so real to me. Like I almost you almost forget they're actors. Um, and it's and weird because the, like they they're just unexplained. But why are all these people here? You know, it's, yeah, it's kind of you know, it's a little bit. He doesn't dwell on it, but in some ways that's kind of the point where um, that's what you know the mom the the mother is is thinking too is like who are all these people like what is yeah <laughs> you know w- what's going on basically. and that's when she sees the owl hallucination yes as well yes, yes. um which is sort of a uh, harbinger of of doom basically for her and um yeah i just i i like that that part of the movie and also those that see like where you see them at the wedding and um it's it's it felt like something, and I I, I don't want to compare this to my own family because obviously they're not trying to kill each other. But it was something I did recognize in terms of the idea of like different cultures coming together, and sometimes there's a discomfort around that, or sometimes there's a little bit mm-hmm. of a like an uneasiness around it. And of course, this goes of course like the worst direction it possibly could. But I, I thought that was a really nice portrayal of this sort of uneasy relationship of like all these people in the house chaos going on the sister comes in she's like pulling out her gun to shoot yeah. scott shepherd um it's it's really really great uh filmmaking there 
Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think there's something unique about the way that he chose to, to sort of portray all of these things. And I, I do, I do love that he, um, he takes the approach of, of not trying to over entertain with the movie. Um, and I think that's really one of the best qualities of it. Um, He's mm-hmm. he's very he's very straightforward with with what he's trying to portray. Um, yeah, that's why I feel uneasy about my critique of it because it's like I don't want to sound like I'm just like hey you know I I want to be entertained you know like where someone you know isn't there like a Family Guy thing where he's watching some art artsy theater thing and and he stands up he's like can someone throw a pie or something what's going on here you know I don't want to sound like I'm thinking like that but I I do feel like. Um, I think when it when they get into the investigation and when it's just a lot of the sort of the procedure and like the courthouse and everyone ratting on each other, it just as the movie goes on and it's very it's also just very long. It feels like there's a lot of sort of repetition of of things like things you already know, things being described that you already know what happened, and also you know, losing some of that texture and some of the, the uh, like depth of character, it becomes very like expositional to me, I guess that was my feeling as it went on when the first part of the movie felt like, Oh wow. You know, it's like this jumping off point of such sort of a interesting environment and situation. And also these characters that have a lot of depth um, part of it is just the nature of the story, you know. If like for one thing, Molly, since she's sort of incapacitated by being poisoned, she has to sort of fall out of the movie. You know, there's not much she can do because she's just bedridden. Um, but more than that, it's just like a lot of this stuff. When I don't know, I just started like getting very bored with a lot of the procedural stuff, and it almost made me wonder. It's like should he have just like not? Like you think about the uh, again going back to the Irishman. Um, when he gets arrested in that movie, doesn't he just like sit, you see him sitting on the stand? He's like, yeah, they just they charge me for some stuff. Yeah, you think about a car or whatever, you know. And it just he she shows it on on screen, you know, like all the stuff he's convicted of, and then he's in jail. Like that's it. And it's like feels like this movie sort of labors a lot of this sort of procedural stuff that is definitely for me the least interesting aspect of the story. Um, but you know, yeah. comes back around to some stuff where him him turning on his uncle which is very interesting i think that's a great scene at the end i think it's the last scene between de niro and dicaprio mm-hmm. where he basically says mm, i'm gonna have to snitch on you now because i don't know i guess because his daughter died and he wants to get out of jail you know it's like i need to support my family and de niro is still turning on that charm and being like i don't you know you shouldn't be hasty about making this decision you know it's like he's even behind bars he's, he's quite scary um so that you know, that's that's a really great scene. But there's just a lot that I'm kind of like, I don't know. I start looking at my watch a little bit. I guess I'm just it's just I don't find it as interesting. But it sounds like you were more compelled by the movie as a yeah. whole. Yeah, no, I I I like the shift that the movie makes, where it, it turns into sort of the procedural stuff. I like when Plummins comes in, and it's kind of this uh, this dangerous moment, you know, where they've they've been getting away with this, you know, horrible stuff for, for so long that, um, right. you know, and it's, it's a glimpse of relief. 
Um, and then I like how it shapes sort of both of their characters. I, I understand like, um, yeah, Molly is kind of out of the picture at this point, which is, it, it is disappointing because I do like her, um, you know, the it's reason why performance. she, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the reason why she's out of the picture is because she's so um, focused on, on the task at hand, right? You know, that's why they have to incapacitate her. But, um, you know, I, I just, I like, I like the, the shifts that happen after, um, after both of them get arrested and, and this sort of, uh, back and forth between, and that, that's what I mentioned earlier with, with the character of Ernest, you know, having this, this brief, you know, you can see a redemption happening and then just, you know, it, it getting taken away, um, mm-hmm. which I just love. I, I love how it, um, how it handles that. I, I think it's so uniquely done. Um, you know, and then, uh, the undercover BOI person is really cool. Um, oh I, yeah. I the, think, the, the native American guy who kind yeah, of, yeah, gets, he's, yeah. He like kind of befriends the, uh, the gang and is hanging out and, uh, you know, in the parlor and you know, whatever else. Yeah. He was um, good. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah. And, and just, just their whole, um, I feel like it goes by really fast. I don't know. Maybe that's just my perspective, but you know, them investigating, like they wrap it up, like, like, like really quick for me. Well, that, I don't know. I think that's the thing is like, is there, is it is very obvious what's going on. The FBI are not geniuses. Like they just, are, <laughs> yeah. the criminals just are bad. Questions. So they just yeah. are like, Oh, it's like very obvious. And it's just because of corruption, no one has dealt with this, but yeah. Um, it just feels given that it, it just seems like it, it takes a while. And I think also it's just, um, um, I don't know. It's, it's just not as interesting to me to follow that stuff. And, and I was thinking about how, oh, it, it's just the fact that, like, you know, everything, you know, it's like, it's, there's no suspense to it. It's like a crime movie mm-hmm. without any suspense or any kind of like, the things that normally would compel you a movie like this, which is like the uncovering of a mystery. It's like, if you told the, it feels like the movie is a little bit in a tough space because if he was to adapt the book as far as I'm aware of the way the book is structured, it would be more of that kind of mystery. Cowboy comes into town, figures out what's going on, solves a mystery that more sort of, I mean, the sort of movie that I certainly enjoy, but you know, is pretty you know territory that we've seen before um but it's like he can't eliminate that completely because that is a big part of the book i mean like plemons character is the protagonist of the book basically yeah yeah so it's it's like you can't completely eliminate it but in a way it's like maybe he should have um but it, it just feels like yeah there's like and then it's like a courtroom drama but there's not much drama to that either the whole scene where it like and leo's on the stand it's like we know what he's gonna do. Like, if I just feel like there's parts of this movie, and I, I hate to be a person complaining about length because I really, I truly believe there's nothing wrong with the movie being three or three and a half hours, and many movies maybe should be even longer. But this movie, to me, definitely feels like the sort of thing where, um, you know, like like the an assembly of a movie, like uh, like he didn't remove any scenes. Mm. Um, and it feels like there's just stuff that, that is redundant as it goes on. Um, but you know, 
I don't know. I just sound like a moron saying this because it's like, it's so, you know, it's obviously it's well done. It's not like he's, it's not like he's embarrassing himself um, as a filmmaker. Um, the way sometimes when you watch like, I don't know, late period Clint occasionally, not often, but occasionally there's some embarrassing stuff or, or bad. I mean, like everyone is great in the movie, every performance, the way it's shot, yeah. everything is great. Um, I was going to say about Leo though, I don't know if I'm of two minds about it. Cause I think he is quite good. It's not like I'm, my dad just wasn't crazy about him, I think. Um, but, I, and I think I respect him as, you know, sort of movie star leading man being so willing to play kind of these pathetic, increasingly pathetic characters. Um, but I, it, it did make me wonder. It's like, he's sort of cosplaying, a loser you know leo is a guy who hangs out on yachts <laughs> and he's you know he, all, he sleeps with models and what like so he's kind of not really and i was thinking about like man like philip seymour hoffman if he when he was like oh 35 yeah. that is true yeah i just think there's people who not to say philip seymour hoffman is a loser or anything but like he was <laughs> he was like a so great at playing that type of character and even yeah. honestly looking at plemons and thinking about how kind of a much of a uh ability he has to play someone who's kind of like evil but also dumb which we've seen <laughs> in other things i actually don't want to say but yeah he's he's maybe could it be more sued i just felt like leo feels like the only part of the movie that sticks out a little bit even though he's good and he's he's a great actor um but in a movie where it's all these i mean like that guy i think his name's ty mitchell you know the guy with the mustache who shoots the guy in the back yeah, of the head yeah yeah like he just feels like he is a guy from 1920. Like he doesn't even seem like he's an actor. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And so well, like, I think, have I think he and, is actually just a rancher. I looked at him. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. I think that's what we, yeah, we yeah. concluded. And even De Niro, honestly, you know, he's doing a goofy voice, but for whatever reason, he sort of blends into the movie a little more than Leo. I mean, it's just because Leo is like, he's wearing makeup and he's like jutting his jaw out. It just feels a little bit more like acting than um, everyone else in the movie. Um, yeah, so I, I don't. I didn't. I didn't quite get that. I. I. Um, I mean, I know what you mean, but I. It was so effective, in the fact that I wanted to punch him and I really hated <laughs> him throughout the whole movie. So like, I don't. I don't like him. Um, I don't know. I kind of. I kind of like that he's. Um, I get what you mean in that. That like he is. It is still. Leo playing a loser. Well, it's just, um, it's just, it's a little bit goofy. Like what he's doing with his, like he, he, it's, it's a little bit over the top. And, and the thing about it is like in most movies, that'd be fine. I mean, like the guy he plays in once upon a time in Hollywood is, is goofy, but that's in a little bit more of a heightened Tarantino world. And in this movie, that's very, very restrained. Um, I mean, obviously he's going to work with Leo. Like he's, he's his collaborator, but, um, it, it, it's like slightly out of place, but only slightly. I'm, I, this is another one of these things where I'm kind of hedging cause I'm not, I still think he's good. I don't think he's horrible. Um, I do like that. He's, he has like a constant look of confusion on his face. Like he just, he, <laughs> yeah, that's like, good. Like, yeah, yeah. The whole movie. Like he, he does not know what he's doing. Um, and I also, I, I do like that. They kind of mention the fact that he's, he's kind of dumb. Like, 
throughout. Like like Hale is is a smart manipulator. He's mm-hmm. someone who's who's almost a genius at it. Like he's so good. He's got the whole town thinking that he's you know the the savior basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but Burkhart, he can't even follow like simple directions. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's no wonder great... he got out of World World War One alive. Oh like... yeah, no, and it's great having De Niro getting increasingly more pissed off at him because <laughs> yeah. De Niro is such a, like a cool customer or whatever, and he's got his his goggles. De Niro's goggles just kind oh, of I me love laugh. That. You know what? Um, you know what I loved about that though is in the wide shots when he's when he's driving up, he looks like a bandito. He like has the. Oh, um, he has the like you know the mask that they that they wear. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it just yeah, it remind it. I saw that I was like, oh wow, what a interesting symbolic use, you know. It's it's of, a great it's a great look, and it and it definitely it's it's just such a contrast to what seeing him in the Irishman, where he almost he almost seems like he has like dementia in the Irishman, like he's just so kind of like. <laughs> His affect is so flat, and then this—he's—he's he's sort of his wily self. Um, but yeah, when he's disciplining, the, you know, the, this whatever Masonic ritual where you, you, you're—he's spanking DiCaprio. <laughs> I mean, like, I wouldn't have believed you if you told me that scene was going to be in the movie. But that was kind of great. Um, <laughs> that that was, whole thing was hilarious. And another cool, like that checkerboard location. It's just like really interesting. Uh, it looks like um, like Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, Jack Fisk is David Lynch guy. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of... I guess we should talk about the ending, right? That's the yes. last thing we haven't really yes, yes. talked about. So after all this procedure and, and um, investigation and uh, the conviction of Hale and basically sort of ends on this note where Gladstone or where Molly asks him up front what was in the shots. I think, and he he, he kind of lies, basically, or he kind of, but it's like clear he's lying. He's like, oh, it's just insulin. He but says he's, insulin, yeah. Yeah, but he's like, so he's like a terrible liar. So <laughs> he just stands up and walks out of the room. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, it's funny because I, I knew, I think I just read too much about this movie. This is what I get for following movies so closely is i i knew he was poisoning his wife that's like you, you didn't know that oh what that's like a huge section of the movie yeah, so you, but you didn't know that going in right I mean, no of course not yeah yes that's that's kind of a too bad um though i have to say it is interesting by the way seeing it a second time knowing some of the other things well obviously what they're doing which i already knew but also the involvement of other people in the town like how you mm-hmm. you realize that like there's that part where the doctors are cutting open the um, yeah. head of her sister, yeah. Which the it's first really time you disturbing. see it, you're just like, "What am I even looking at here?" But when you see it again, you realize they're cutting her head open so they can remove the bullet. That's the evidence, I think, right? Yeah. Um. So there's little parts like that where you're watching it again. And you're going, "Oh my god, that's why that's they're they're that scene is there." Yeah, that's very disturbing. I have to say, by the way, that that is really like one of the most haunting things I've ever seen in a movie, and also the fact they're doing it in front of Molly. Oh, um, yeah. But and the, the thing that's like is just like I'm like I almost wish I didn't see it because it's so disturbing to me was the when they blow up the house, and they, 
Well, it's two. Th- it's the it's the sister and her brain falling out of the, the back of her head. <laughs> yeah, that's oh my pretty, god! Yeah, that's pretty bad. And then the um, the the husband, who's not dead, and he's screaming for someone to shoot him. That yeah. is just like yeah. absolutely horrifying. Um, yeah. And then the day after, they find like the hand of the. Ma- I mean, it's so it's so horrifying. Um, yeah, I just I think uh, you know of all of them, like you know you've seen sort of people getting shot in movies and it's kind of there's kind of a not a phoniness to it but there's a um that's not very mysterious a lot of movies have have you know um have that scene you know where the assassin comes in you know shoots in the back of the head and whatnot yeah um so it's you know you can watch that it's not that disturbing but you're right that the um yeah, the house blowing up is is a even, is a different level. Even um, when they they the first time you see someone shot, you see that mother put her kid in the t- carriage, oh, and yeah, the hand yeah. comes out of the window. Both times I've seen it, you hear everyone in the audience go, "Oh, like it's just so horrible." Yeah, and it's yeah. it's you know you see people get as you're saying, you see people get shot in movies all the time. But there's something about, and really through his whole career, I would say. I think we should underrate that for over 50 years, he is someone who has shown violence in a way that it hits you. And it's. I think it's interesting that he's found, he's made it even more blunt and even less stylized than it already was. Because mm-hmm. his early movies are a little, like, if you think of Taxi Driver or Goodfellas, there's a lot of you know music and slow motion. There's, there's style to it, but... When that's you know when he pistol whips the guy or when you know uh, Travis goes on his killing spree at the end, that still has impact. And yeah. the fact that he's he's even toned down whatever that was in his later years, I think it partly is a response to the fact that even though he's showing something and it's like yeah, isn't this horrible? In in his older movies, people would like people cheered at the end of Taxi Driver. I feel like I read this that like people <laughs> cheered when that happened, and it's like oh my god. Um, I get why you cheer when Leota pistol whips the guy because that guy was asking for it. Who who, <laughs> who, who, who uh, harassed his wife? That was that was justified. Um, but well, even I mean we don't want to we don't have to go down a Taxi Driver rabbit hole, but uh, but in some ways like his um, you know Bickle as kind of confused and messed up as he is, he is sort of on a righteous mission at the end. It, it, you know? it is true. I do understand that people are not completely sick for cheering that because like the people he's killing are people who are uh, utilizing the services of a, what, 13-year-old prostitute. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. that I, I get why people cheered, but also it's like, I don't know, it seems like the furthest thing from my reaction to that because even though, <laughs> that's the thing about it is like him... Him and like Clint are great at this, where it's like he he can show you something that's completely justified and even righteous, but you still are like, oh, I don't. That was horrible. Like I, it still feels uncomfortable. Um, yeah, yeah. All of this kind of comes around in a way to the way the movie ends because abruptly it switches to a radio program from like I don't know, it was like the fifties or something. Yeah. Yeah. One of those old timey sort of radio shows where you have sound effects and kind of corny music and you're telling the story. Um, and he sort of gives essentially what you would normally see as white text on black at the end of almost right. every other movie in the form of this radio show narrating what happened to these different um, players in the story. Um, and then 
well, it's yeah, and then it's, it sort of has the hokey music, but then every sort of thing sort of drops out for the very end of the movie. Where and this was like the one big surprise to me yeah. was yeah. Martin Scorsese himself comes on stage and reads from the obituary of Molly Burkhart. And I found this to be, I mean, I'm of course I'm gonna be moved by this because I love the man, but I found this to be a deeply moving way to end the movie. Yeah, and yeah, and a powerful breaking of the fourth wall that feels like on one hand the whole thing is just a clever way to get around the kind of boring epilogue that a lot of movies have, but I think it's there's a lot more to that going on just in the idea of as we're talking about the sensationalism of storytelling and in a way him him putting himself in it almost acknowledging his own kind of place in Mm -hmm. that you know which i i mean gosh he shouldn't feel guilt for this because if you see the other the kinds of exploitation people do through (laughs) movies podcasts books of all sorts of historical violence i think he's one of the least guilty but still as a filmmaker he's making something that i guess is a uh um on some level entertainment out of it it's an interesting contrast because it's like you you it's it's such a the movie is so not what the radio play is right it's yeah, not yeah hokey scored whatever um it's it's like insensitive like one of the the, the native american character is just jack white doing like a goofy like a stereotypical right, right indian right. voice quote unquote um and then the movie itself is like incredibly sensitive in all ways both to the the culture and to the history of what happened um but it's i don't know i mean t- well tell me what you felt when you watched that yeah epilogue. well i immediately you know when they cut to the radio show i could immediately see where you know what he was doing it, it says something like um uh you know he <laughs> it cuts and then on the back is like a big lucky strike cigarette, um, advertisement. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, in, you know, in the opening words of the radio show or what you're hearing, you know, it's, it, it basically says like, and thank you to all the fans of true crime and blah, 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 who are, yeah. you know, hearing this historic recreation, you know? Yeah. And, and sort of just, Edgar Hoover too. Yes. Brought to you by, by J Edgar Hoover. Yeah. Um, and so I, I immediately was like, okay, yes, I, I get, he is, he's sort of commenting on, um, in some ways the, the, um, commodification or the destruction of someone's history or someone's tragedy, um, being, you know, uh, totally just exploited for, um, for fun and entertainment by people who are, you know, had nothing to do with it. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, and and then I was I was thinking about, you know, as the words were going, I wasn't I wasn't paying attention too closely to like you know everybody's blah blah blah, and you know they're they're you know they get out of prison whatever else, um, mm-hmm. the normal epilogue stuff. But I was thinking about like I wonder, I wonder sort of what he thinks about you know his place in this, and obviously the movie is very. Um, very uh it's it's you know it's not very entertaining on purpose and i think it gives it that that clarity and so i was thinking about you know obviously this is a very conscious um examination of his own work and so maybe some of his regrets that he has 
uh, in the past and maybe some of his own, uh, you know, foibles with, with the work that he's, he's done. And then for mm-hmm. him to come out, um, which was, you know, an ultra shock moment, um, mm-hmm. for him to come out and just dryly read the words of Molly Burkhart's obituary, I thought was just so moving and poignant and, and just, um, like you said, it has this sense of being as utterly respectful as it can be. Um, and, and I think he, I think in some ways it's also commenting on, on the injustice of her story being sort of buried for so long and, you know, the, That's the true. horrible things that happened to her, um, being, you know, not even a footnote in her, um, in her obituary, not even being brought up. Right. Um, right. And so he, I think, I think in some ways it's, it's a love letter to, um, to her story and kind of trying to, trying to give it as much justice as, as he can. And that's why I was so moved by, I guess the, the movie in its entirety, but also just this last moments are so clear that he, he wants to, he sees this as, as a sort of reconciliation um, with, with her story and with this, the history. Um, and then also he sees what happened to, you know, to, to Ernest Burkhardt and to William Hale and to um, Byron, mm-hmm. you know, he sees what happens to them as, as not justice and, and as, you know, something that, um, you know, it, basically like they, they got away with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's a, there's that duality where, and I, I, I do really think that's why he made <laughs> Ernest as insufferable as possible. Um, is because I think he feels like he walked away scot-free, um, from something. Horrible. Right. Right. Um, so it's like he's, he's, he's denigrating one person while, giving another person the kind of light they deserve, I guess, in history. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's a good point. Yeah. Now it's very, it's a very powerful way. To, and it reminded me a little bit of uh, actually of assassination of Jesse James, actually, where mm. um, you sort of see how history is um, narrativized, I guess. So that's one of the reasons I, I have trouble sometimes, you know, like reading about history even because I, even something that's, more objectively told than a movie there's always a sense that it's either written as entertainment or there's an aspect of it that is not going to be completely accurate and also how could you know you you can never completely capture the events of something or someone's personality you can never completely do it justice um by 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 both showing the kind of hokey way the stories have been told also contrasting with the beginning of the movie too the idea of um history being forgotten basically and like mm. uh, here's our, our culture as you know both are kind of about the passage of time and how how culture and history and stories are recontextualized and, and rewritten um inevitably as time goes on um by showing the hokiness at the ending but also having him come out and with this very respectful way of telling the story it feels like he's um he's acknowledging the limitations of storytelling and of his own even his own immense artistry while also 
um, paying it the respect it it deserves and 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 kind of sh- showing how personal um, it is to him. Um, yeah, and it's I don't know. I and then and then also a key aspect is the last moment of the movie after he reads the obituary is the um, the shot of the celebration, Native American mm-hmm. celebration, which appears to be contemporary. Based on what th- you can see them wearing, it looks like it's a contemporary um, celebration, which, again, is just like a very moving way of kind of saying that yeah. it's not the end and it's not, you know, the history can live on and that there is maybe... Um, for all this tragedy, there there's still going to be some level of joy, and there's still a celebration of this culture that that endures through, I mean, unimaginable horror. So, yeah, I I, I find it uh, very affecting, actually. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think, um, yeah, that's why I I can't I don't know I, as as much as as you know, you're not super sure about it. I, I really, I have a hard time finding fault with the movie in any of these ways because it's so, for me, I felt exactly what I think I was supposed to feel. I felt mm-hmm. the anger towards, you know, Ernest. I felt the sense of, of loss and and devastation, um, you know, with with Molly and, and with her family. And, you know, and then I felt the reflection that Scorsese was feeling about his own place in, um, you know, the commodification of, of a story like this. Um, and I just think it's, I think, like we said when we talked about The Irishman, you know, as he's gotten older, he's been more reflective of, you know, his own, uh, his own place and his own sort of responsibility in in some of these things and i think i think i don't he would never admit it i don't think but i think he looks at goodfellas as being maybe um like the worst part of his career i think he i think he looks (laughs) that's an interesting thing to say in in the sense that um i with these last two movies especially um, and thinking about his his context, all of the criticisms that he has um, towards himself in those two movies are basically at pointing at Goodfellas, um, which I is guess so. which is interesting. Um, yeah, because you know it's Goodfellas is a movie that is very explosive. It's very energetic. It has the sense of of dynamism and entertainment. And I think he was. Um, I think the fact that he didn't want to do it at first, he didn't want to do a gangster movie. Um, mm. That's he interesting. was kind of, I, th- I think I'm doing a lot of mind reading right now, but right. I would, I would suspect that he felt a little bit pigeonholed in the Goodfellas era. Um, and after that, where everything that he was doing was, you know, he was the gangster guy. He was the hyper-violent, you know, stylized. Every, everybody's, you know, this this sort of ultra, uh, you know, cartoonish, extreme character, um, which I don't think is true of the movie, but I think this is the, the sort of perception that people have with Goodfellas. No, that's, that's the shame. Is like, I think Goodfellas in its own 
more boisterous, entertaining way expresses, you know, these ideas yeah. as powerfully about, um, well, I mean, like the country's history of violence and, and, um, uh, and people's uh, regret of their actions, all the, all these sort of ideas in his recent movies. Um, but because it's honestly, because it's so well-made people <laughs> have taken it in this sort of way where it's become, um, I don't know, like almost like the characters become valorized and people go, oh, wow, this guy was certainly Wolf of Wall Street. I think there's like a, you, you just need to look up one uh, YouTube video of a scene from that movie and you just can read the comments and then, you know, consider suicide because every person <laughs> is like, just, oh, wow, this is so, I want to be like this guy. And yeah. obviously yeah. if you have a, you know, two brain cells to rub together, you can understand that's not at all what the intention of the movie was. Um, so I think, I think with these last few movies, I don't know. I, 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 again, I don't know the man and I certainly would hope he's not letting, you know, he's not reading all this stuff. And, you know, I, in an ideal world, Scorsese would never know about any of this and he would just live his life happily and just think, wow, everyone is taking away the right messages from my movies. Um, <laughs> but I think he knows, I think I saw an interview with him talking about taxi driver and there's this one part where everywhere is everyone is Travis. Everyone Bickle. is Travis Bickle. Yeah, and I was like, oh man, yeah, and he's not wrong, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I think he's there's a little bit. It's a little bit of a you know like Oppenheimer, like uh, Killian Murphy at the end of Oppenheimer to Scorsese, I think, <laughs> in the way he looks at how. Not to mention also just the fact that like everyone's ripping off his movies and everyone's yeah. like takes the wrong lessons from his movies and they're like, Oh yeah, we're going to make our movies really cool and have an awesome soundtrack. And the camera's going to push in like this and it's going to, you know, whiz around. And that's um, what I was going to say was that I think, I think maybe more than his own product, I think the copycats scare him uh, more, Yeah, you know, because, because at least with him, you know, he can control his, his motivation and he can sort of, he can, he can, um, you know, he could make this mystique around a character like Jordan Belfort, um, you know, where right. there's something very charming about him um, or illustrious about him. But the filmmaking and everything around it um, is what's saying this is wrong. Stay away from the wolf, you know, right. basically. Right. Um, and, and, and I think with the copycats, I think he's afraid that they, they don't know when the restraint is necessary. They don't know where, you know, where things are, you know, where things are going too much basically. And I think, yeah. So I, I, I do, I do feel like as, as kind of sad as it is, I don't want to say sad, but as I think he feels a certain sense of, of guilt about his sort of earlier impact. I really do. And I yeah, think you can yeah. see that reflected in his, um, you know, in the way that he's handling these last, you know, well, particularly two especially Silence and the Irishman and and this movie, there's a pretty mark uh, marked turn in the way he's he directs Wolf of Wall Street to Silence, you know, yes, and the yes. and the way he strips back these sort of um, techniques he's known for. Um, and that he uses brilliant. I mean, I, I love these movies that, you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure he doesn't hate Goodfellas. Like, I'm sure he's still proud of the movie itself, but it's, yeah, it's very true that he, he wants to kind of, 
strip things back and you know sort of lay bare the ideas that he's he's always been interested in exploring so anyway for all my qualms i it certainly is an admirable admirable piece of work i don't want to sound too negative about it you know and it could just be my own whatever me me being a simpleton who would prefer to enjoy you know uh you know the song layla playing with a montage and goodfellas or whatever so (laughs) yeah i I don't know but um yeah i'll probably end up seeing it again i'm 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 curious to see if because you know also as we've talked about before sometimes these movies um it's a lot to take in the first few times and you have to kind of i mean west side story that happened obviously i didn't even like it the first time it's hard to believe but (laughs) I, i i like i was like this is mid my dad my dad's like in tears and he's like wasn't that that was beautiful and i was like eh it's like yeah. my second favorite movie of the decade so far. Yeah. So um, I, I definitely want to give it the respect it's due. Yeah, no, I think, um, I don't know. To me, I I really, yeah, I truly uh, love the movie. And I think it's worth your time to sit with the ideas that, um, you know, that it's, you know the ideas that it's it's grappling with and mm-hmm. just for a for a movie that's so um this is something that i want out of a lot of the movies that are coming out i want something that is contemplative and that is you know respectful and that has a certain sense of of justice and injustice and there's a you know i don't know there's a lot of um i like that this flows through all of Scorsese's work and you know he as much as he's known mm-hmm. for the you know ultra violence and the you know montages and the hyper stylization I think for me I think of him as someone who is deeply contemplating what it means to be a good person um yes know, throughout all of his his films so yeah even his most frivolous seeming films for sure yeah um, so, and I think this is no exception. I think he's, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> sometimes in order to look at, you know, to ask what, what a good person is, you have to look at what is the, the depths of evil, you know? And I think, I think this does that. So. Yeah. Would, would agree with that. Yeah. I did not well, know, um, that, <laughs> Uh, Jason Isbell is the is Bill Smith. I didn't even Bill recognize Smith. him. Jason yeah. Isbell. Um, I actually weirdly I saw him uh, in concert like a couple weeks ago. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so that's super random, but huh? Um, that's yeah, it's hilarious. It's funny because he was. There's actually a number of singers in the movie. Of course, I know Jack White. I I, I used to listen to Jack White a lot, and so I I um. Yeah, he wasn't until the end, but I recognized him. But Jason Isbell was like the one I had heard of, and I was like, "Isn't he? He's a musician." And I saw the whole movie. I'm trying to figure out which one he is because I don't know what he looks like, and I was completely wrong. Like I wasn't that guy who he plays. I would have never guessed that he's not a like professional actor. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he fit right into the fabric of the movie as this kind of weird, interesting character. By the way, I I loved him. As we watch him, watch it again. He's actually 
like one of the only. Is he a decent person? I maybe I'm confused watching it, but he's I not. I don't think he is, but I think he's um, he's smart, so he knows what's going on. You know, he's but he. I don't know that he's a good person. I think they say he uh, like abuses the the Rita or whatever. Um, oh, okay. Or and then there's another. Or there's like rumor, there's rumblings about it. Um, right. And then there's another part where when right after he gets, right, right after his first wife gets murdered, right? Um, or dies, dies of diabetes. Um, yeah. He marries Rita like immediately after, which is a right. little sus, you know? Yeah, I know exactly. When he first <laughs> see the movie, I go, oh my God, how shameless could this guy be? Yeah. But then when you see it again, you actually realize... Well, he's doing something. He's like investigating who did it. So it's it's he's. Yeah. I guess yeah. what he's not is he's not like oh he's a great person, but he's one of the few white people who's not in on the conspiracy to kill all. Of he's them. definitely not in on the scheme. Um, yeah, I sure. mean, obvi- made obvious when he's hor- <laughs> murdered. Maybe one of the most horrifying deaths I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> um, begging to be shot. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, interesting. You know, it's a lot of stuff you, you catch the second time around. It's a lot to take in three and a half hours of storytelling. You know, a lot of lot of characters, a lot of moving parts. Um, so, but it, yeah, hard to recommend. Oh no, you have to see it twice to really understand it. Like seven hours, or even of your three time. times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ten and a half hours of uh, absolute misery from the maestro. <laughs> Thanks, Scorsese. Actually, thank you, Scorsese. He's, he's no, we do mean it. Yeah, Th- please make a movie in two years, not four years. Okay. Oh yeah, please, please do just every year, like Clint. I don't care. I'm sure it'll be great. I wish, I wish, but you know, it's not gonna happen. He's too. He spends like a year in the editing room. He's out of his mind. I mean, well, maybe not because the movies are great, but <laughs> he's. He he spends a lot of time. Not as much, the one guy who spends more time is Terrence Malick. You know, Terrence Malick made a movie about Jesus, or he shot a movie about Jesus like four years ago, and he's just been editing it <laughs> for all this time. <laughs> I'm I not surprised about that. He's yeah. at, he's he's crazy. I think Mark Rylance is playing Satan. Awesome. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't have been my first choice, but that's very funny. Well, anyway, well, uh, any other comments about killers of the flower moon no i think we investigated it thoroughly okay we are we are the killers we are what because we're white just you know just just because we like we like scorsese movies that's what he's saying he's saying the audience is actually bad (laughs) he's definitely saying that in uh, wolf of wall street that's for sure yeah that's that's true god i love that ending um um well, I do want to mention. Speaking of being killers, um, we are we going to see the killer? Yeah, I don't know if we want to. Well, we're just going to do this on the episode. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't know. It seems to be only be playing up here. Yeah, and I think so. I, I'll, yeah. I'll keep looking, but as of now, the only show times are like the Draft House and the San Rafael uh, Theater. But well, yeah, I say we do it. Want to see the killer because it's Fincher and it's. We haven't seen a Fincher. Did you see Gone Girl when it came out? Mm, uh, I did when it came out. Um, like in theaters, I mean. I I did, but yeah. I don't. Do we know each other back then? We didn't. No, of course. It was twenty fourteen. But I just yeah. mean that that uh, twenty fourteen. It's been nine years since there's been a Fincher movie 
in theaters or at least i've seen it i think mank maybe played in theaters for like two seconds but that was like covid year so i didn't see it yeah that is um, true yeah so he's he I, this would be my first fincher in a theater since 2014 mm. um so obviously more of a trek for you but i'm i mean if it was down in if i had to drive down to whatever i would i would see it because it's a rare opportunity I think it officially releases like in November, actually. So this must be in, like an early showing. Yeah, there might be an earlier. Um, yeah, there, there might be some kind of. I mean, there's a November. Um, it releases on Netflix in November. That's. Oh, right. right, right. The release. Okay. Well, in any case, um, happy to have seen this movie with you and. Of course. You know, it, it's this is another year like 2020 where like a bunch of, uh, I feel I feel like it was Mank and uh, and Tenet came out and I hated both of them. You know, so it was like I hope for you it's I hope it's not this year. You know, it's like I'm, Killers I'm of the Flower Moon and uh, crushingly depressed, honestly. <laughs> and Oppenheimer. <laughs> I would not have been able to guess that the fifth Indiana Jones movie I would like more than Scorsese <laughs> or Nolan's movies. <laughs> That very much bums me out. Um, <sighs> but would you say this is your favorite movie of the year? Or, uh, um, I don't know what's... There's not a lot of competition. So, yeah, it could not it, it be. Not Mission Impossible? Nah. I was mid on Mission Impossible, to be honest. I loved it so much. <laughs> it was so awesome. There's no scene in Killers of the Flower Moon that is as good as the scene where Haley Atwell is driving the yellow, tiny yellow collar in circles. <laughs> That's like the greatest thing I've ever seen. But, uh, uh, well alright well uh, we'll see you on Tuesday because this is an extra episode so have a good night everybody you get two extra hours of us oh wow. boy <laughs> I, it's wonderful <laughs> <laughs>